Hello, and welcome to Moms Going Boldly, a podcast about the new Star Trek Discovery TV series by two moms who write about autism and who happen to also be Star Trek fans. Together, we talk about the new series, how it relates to previous versions of Star Trek, and any autism issues that we happen to see along the way. I am your host, Elizabeth, and with me is my co-host, Vicki. Hey, this is Vicki. Together, we are Moms Going Boldly. Today, we're talking about Discovery's first away mission in the episode Civis Pacem Parabellum, which is Latin for, if you want peace, prepare for war. This episode essentially followed four storylines. There were, was the storyline of Cole and the cloaking device and how it's impacting the war and the battles that the Federation ships are engaging in. There was a storyline about an away mission to try to solve that problem. There was a storyline of the fate of Admiral Cornwell. And finally, a brief storyline about conversations and realizations between Cadet Tilly and Lieutenant Stamets. So which one would you like to talk about first? Take your pick. Well, let's start with the cloaking device piece, since that's sort of foundational for the away mission. We start the episode with the Discovery responding to a distress call from the Gagarin, which is under attack from multiple Klingon warships. And it's hard to tell how many they are because they keep cloaking and uncloaking. And quite successfully you know, beating up on the Federation starships. Discovery shows up and starts firing at ships. And were you a bit surprised at how ineffective the weapons on the Federation ships were? Yes. But again, I don't know about the rest of the Federation ships, but the uh, Discovery was a science ship. Updated their equipment since the war started or what? I mean, that's a really good point. They may not have the necessary weaponry to battle the Klingons. But even so, I was very surprised at how there was very little destructive components. And as far as I can t- could tell, the Gagarin didn't really have a whole lot of impact either. Yeah. So it's the, the invisibility shields. <laughs> yeah. And so it's, it's not looking real good for the Federation. And I think that scene did an excellent job making that very clear. Yeah. The Gagarin is lost with all hands. It's an exciting battle, but sad because the Klingons destroy uh, another Federation ship and the Discovery has to make a hasty retreat. Mm-hmm. And then we learn later on when Captain Lorca is meeting with Starfleet that, and they confirm the theory, the realization that you had identified that for loyalty, Cole is giving the technology to any Klingon house that is willing to swear their fealty. Did you hear how he called him Cole of the House of Kor? Hear that. We've got here now a wonderful callback or call forward to both Kor in the next, excuse me, in the original series 
which was Errand of Mercy is where we saw him. And then later in Deep Space Nine, we saw him several times. Starfleet makes it very clear to Captain Lorca that they really need some kind of defense against the invisibility shields, the cloaking devices. And so they're talking about uh, this away mission that Saru and Michael Burnham and Lieutenant Tyler are on, on a planet called Pavo. Mm -hmm. And Pavo is uninhabited, but resonates with a musical sound from everywhere. The plants, I don't know if there are any animals, but definitely the plant and the ground and everything resonates with this sound. And there's a transmitter of some kind, a crystal's transmitter, that just between us, to me, should have been a sign that there was some kind of intelligent life, because it certainly did not look natural. I was wondering where that came from. It couldn't have just appeared. I mean, I suppose it could have, but that was my thinking too. There was no obvious biological or evolutionary reason for that crystal transmitter to appear for the planet as we understood it. Once we learned that there was intelligent life forms, then it all made sense. So their mission is to adapt this transmitter to turn it into a kind of sonar device that will enable the Federation fleet to detect the Klingon ships through their invisibility cloaking devices. And so they're there with Saru and Michael Burnham, and they're doing a long trek, and we get some world building from Saru as he talks about his culture and his people and their unique characteristics. And then we discover, as they're surrounded by glowing blue dust, that there are actually intelligent life forms on the planet, and Saru initiates first contact proceedings and starts to have conversations with them. And I was interested, or curious as to why Saru was the one who was able to communicate with them. He was the first contact officer. So, job, I guess. So, I'm not sure how, why he could communicate with them, but training to, I don't know. Or perhaps because he was the one to do the first contact, he was the one they chose to communicate with. That's a good point. That could be. But he did say somewhere in that, the first contact officer. Saru is in contact with these it, these the entities that live on this planet and it appears as though they're going to cooperate and allow Discovery away team to modify the transmitter and then Saru starts acting strange. Oh, backing up. Saru is trying to sleep. They spend the night in the company of their Pavan hosts who, by the way, have a house for them. I, I thought that was very in- confusing because if they're just dust creatures why do they why do they already have a building in place for them did that mean that they were able to construct something instantaneously for them or was it something that was already there that's where the crystal transformer came from too yeah so saru's unable to sleep he goes outside the hut and this is where i thought this was our autism moment in this episode because he was experiencing painful sensory overload the constant noise of the the resonating song that was coming from the ground and from the plants and from everything else was putting him into sensory overload and he was desperate to make it stop that no one else could hear pretty much that That, didn't bother anybody else but him exactly that's sort of what we hear i hear that from my son all the time i I remember once in a restaurant i could hear a high-pitched noise and it was just a a beep occurring at a regular in a regular basis it wasn't real fast it was a slow basis and i was waiting 
because I knew he was going to say, Mom, I can't stand that anymore. And sure enough, when he said, there's this beep, it's driving me nuts, I said, let's go for a walk. So he's desperate to get this to stop as well. He goes outside for his walk and begs them to make it stop. And then something very strange happened. What did you think that was? I thought they were filling themselves filling themselves into him via one of them. Like they were taking over his body. That's what I thought. So almost like a possession. I kind of wondered if they weren't just altering his perceptions. Yeah, I I don't know. But to me, it just looks like they were taking him over, you know, like we've seen a thousand times in a thousand other Star Treks. Right. Apparently that wasn't the case, but that's what it looked like to me when it first started. So I thought it was, I, I thought that too at first. And then they were essentially reviewing his memories and things he had said about himself, which made me wonder if they weren't just giving him some anti-anxiety drugs. I guess. Because of his newfound perceptions, whether being possessed or just in a new place as a gift from the Pavans, he starts to essentially circumvent their away mission of trying to get this transmitter to work as a sonar device to detect the cloaking devices and he lies to Michael Burnham and Lieutenant Tyler about being in contact with the Discovery and the Discovery saying no problem take your time on working with the Povins takes their communication devices destroys them and Michael Burnham and Lieutenant Tyler realize that there's something not quite right with Saru right at that point they both think that something's taking over him yes then Lieutenant Tyler takes command. And he looked a little nervous about it. I don't know if he thought she was going to go for that. He almost looked surprised that he, with himself that he did it. And I don't know whether that's Vok thinking, oh my goodness, now I have to actually take on a leadership role. Or if he just, I, I really thought he didn't think that she was going to, even though she's all Starfleet and all regulations, we know that she's not at all the time. They have to come up with a plan to complete their mission and that's what lieutenant tyler is ordering michael burnham to do is do what needs to be done to complete the mission so he distracts saru and michael burnham heads out to modify the transmitter so that they can get in touch with discovery saru determines that he's being fooled by lieutenant tyler chases after michael burnham at what 80 miles an hour was that what his top speed was I think something like that. Or kilometers. What did you think of? Kilometers. What did you think of how they made him look running? Oh, I don't know. It was funny. Didn't quite feel true, did it? Oh, it, it was funny. It was funny. It was more humorous than. Uh... It certainly did not convey a sense of danger. So he tries to stop Michael Burnham. He attacks her, and she fights back. And he tries to destroy their transmitter, and she tries to stop him, but how he's really stopped is that the Pavins transport Lieutenant Tyler to the scene and stop the fight themselves and end up re-rigging the transmitter. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. So the other two storylines that were in this were the storylines of Admiral Cornwell and uh, Tilly and Stamets. And let's talk about Tilly and Stamets for a moment, because when the Discovery was in the battle to try to defend the Gagarin and Stamets was using, you know, being the navigator for the spore drive. After the battle was over, he stepped out of the navigator chamber and turns to Tilly and says, 
What are you doing down here, Captain? <laughs> what do you think? I think, and I still think, that not only is he out of sync or living in different time dimensions, but he, I think that he, out of different times, maybe at some later date, she is a captain. That's what I was thinking, too, that he was seeing her right in the future. Forth, right, and he doesn't want to tell her, obviously, because... That could change well, the future. Yes, <laughs> yes. She notices this slip, obviously, and he gets cranky about it. And so she, in good cadet mode, backs down and says, I'm sorry. And, you know, that's the end of the conversation. But then she later in the mess hall sits down in front of him and says, what's going on? And he tries to back down and she doesn't back down. Yeah. And he tries to get her to go away by even saying you're dismissed cadet. And she doesn't move, which is technically insubordination. And he confesses that sometimes he doesn't know where he is or who he is, and he hasn't wanted to tell anybody because he doesn't want to be taken off discovery and poked and prodded at some lab. He wants to be able to do his job, and he doesn't want to put his partner, the doctor, in a difficult spot, having to make choices that have no good outcomes. So that, that's going to be an interesting storyline to continue to watch. These two essentially have decided to keep this to themselves. So they're going to be partners in this deception of omission she just she she put pushed it away by saying it maybe that'll it'll go away and they both know that's not true it's her way of uh her way of not something wrong by concealing it which is probably something we should watch for in the future if that's part of her character maybe this will all get better the fourth storyline is that of admiral cornwell and we get to go back to the klingon ship for the first time in a long time Core is, excuse me, Cole is running the ship and Laurel beams on and offers her services as an interrogator to try to get Admiral Cornwell to give the Klingons valuable information. And she goes into the Admiral Cornwell's cell with a whole slew of very nasty looking instruments of torture and tells Admiral Cornwell to scream. What were you thinking when she said that? I was thinking exactly, I thought, I didn't think she was going to want to defect, but I did think she was, she was just using the screaming so the people outside would think she was doing what she was supposed to be doing, but she wanted to talk to her. My first thought was that she was trying to establish dominance over her. You're going no, to scream I, and then you're going to answer my questions. I thought she was making her scream so the people outside would think she was doing her job. And you were right. So she screams... And then the guards outside leave, and then Laurel drops the bombshell of saying she wants to defect to the Federation and be taken, specifically taken to the ship Discovery. Yeah. Now, what a can of worms that is. There's just so many different, you know, at this point she wants to defect, and I really do think she wants to defect. She's angry. But she knows that if it's Vok, Vok is on Discovery. She put him there to do, except that now she wants to defect. Her motives have changed. Is that making any sense? Yes. Her motives have changed, but he doesn't know that. He doesn't know that. So, so, so Vok doesn't know that. No. Him there to win the war so he could be a hero. Originally, I don't know if that's now changed her thinking. To get to the ship for him, I would assume. But I do really think she's wants to defect. Okay. Because she's dead friends and the other thought that I had was that it was all a contrived play for the Admiral to earn the Admiral's trust and that Cole was in on it. Now, the only thing that kind of goes against that theory is the way he treated Laurel at the end of the episode. 
Uh, but even that could have been play acting for the rest of his crew. It's going to be, you know, with something to watch. So Laurel talks to Admiral Cornwell and asks to defect and says that they can get out of the cell and go to Laurel's ship and then go on to the Federation. And they're caught leaving the ship and Admiral Cornwell attacks Laurel. It looked like as a means to continue the ruse that they were enemies. That you're not what I thought you were before. Laurel, you know, knocks Admiral Cornwell unconscious and then appears to kill her and then says she's going to take the body to wherever they take the bodies on Klingon ships. And is the word, appears. <laughs> that's where she f- discovers all of her other compatriots' bodies lying in right. the, the Klingon morgue. And there is some question. Is Admiral Cornwell dead? I don't think she's dead. I don't think she's dead either. You put money on it. Uh, I would too. At the very end of the episode, as they were, you know, leaving the Klingon ship, they did one more focus on Admiral Cornwell's body. And just the fact that she wanted to dispose of the body. Yes. So I think that was part of the plan. I think she was supposed to go back, but I don't know Dis- if she's going to be able to now. Well, I think she will, because Discovery finally arrives at Pavo to learn that the Pavans have set up their transmitter, broadcasting an invitation for the Klingons to meet at Pavo, guessing that they're hoping to broker a peace between the Federation and the Klingons, or it could be something more nefarious. But the, the ship that's responding is... The ship of the dead? Is the ship it? of the dead, where Cole is, where Laurel is, and where Admiral Cornwell is. And it may very well be that when that ship arrives, the Discovery can sense her human presence on board and might be able to get her out. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Because at the end, when they took her Laurel away, it's like, well, that's the end. <laughs> now she's stuck in the morgue with the dead Klingons and nobody to come and get her. But yeah, you're right. They probably could. Well, she also has the option, if since it's the ship of the dead and that's where those sarc- sarcophagi are, she could very easily climb into one and shoot herself out. Yeah. Almost like an escape pod. Right. And that's it. We're left with a kind of cliffhanger in that the Klingons are coming. We don't know if Admiral Cornwell's dead. We don't know if Laurel is dead. We don't know what's wrong with Stamets. The only real close that we see is that of Saru. We get closure with him. What did you think of the end scene with Saru and Michael Burnham in the sickbay? I think his apology to her kind of put them on the same level now. Not that there was any more animosity that seemed to go away, but he's done, although she's not a captain, he's done what she... I think that is a very, very important point. The parallels are unmistakable. And I think your pointing that out is really important because even though he was theoretically under the influence of, you know, another species, his reasons for remaining there were as strong emotional reasons as those that impelled Michael Burnham to commit mutiny. And I'm hoping that we do see, as you're suggesting, some deep understanding and respect between the two because they both had similar experiences. Did you like this episode? I'm not, now I'm anxious now for <laughs> next for Sunday. <laughs> Good, and I'm getting really anxious for Sunday now for the last one. 
can't understand why Saru's tendrils don't come up around Vok if he's Vok. I mean, I still do. I think you're right, and I do believe he's Vok. But why wouldn't his tendrils come up? I think you were the one that made the point that it's a—it's possible that he's a sleeper. He doesn't actually know that he's the Klingon agent until he's awakened, okay. perhaps by okay. Laurel. Perhaps that's why she needs to get there to Discovery, to waken so him up out of his conditioning. Who can only... You'd have to know that you're evil or... Saru senses threats, and if he doesn't know that he's an agent of the Klingons, then he's not, he doesn't know he's a threat. There's no, there's nothing threatening coming from him. That makes sense. And I didn't really think about the reasons Laurel needed to get to Discovery to wake up Vok until just now. I kind of assumed that Harry Mudd, since she'd already partnered with him, had given her information on the Discovery spore drive, and she was looking to get there to steal components, steal blueprints, something along those lines. Because with a ship like Discovery, then she could beat Cole. And I think that's her goal now. I don't think she cares about the war. I think goal is to beat Cole. And I think she would partner with the humans to do it. Which would be very interesting. That reminds me of the Deep Space Nine episode, The Changing Face of Evil. Do you remember that one from the last season? No titles of the episode. (laughs) It's an episode where, you know, the Federation is fighting against the Dominion, and the Dominion is partnered with the Cardassians, and all of a sudden everything gets turned on its head in this episode because the Cardassians are being treated so badly by the Dominion, they start to rebel against the Dominion. And the Kai of Bajor, Kai Wynn, played by... Oh, what's her name? The actress? But go ahead. (laughs) Oh, she's a great actress. Chris Ratchet in uh, yes. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yes, and she was great as Kai Wynn. Louise? Louise? No. Louise, I can't think of her name. For yeah, anything. but she's so frustrated with how she's completely overshadowed by Captain Sisko as the emissary of the prophets, even though she's the Kai and she should be the apex of religious importance on Bajor, but she's not, that she turns away from the prophets and goes with the Paw Wraiths and joins Gul Dukat, who's disguised as a Bajoran. Anyway, so it's all, all of the alliances are flip-flopping in that episode, and suddenly, you know, you're no longer allied with Kai Wynn, you're allied with the Cardassians, because they're now rebelling against the Dominion. Your comment about Laurel kind of mirrors that idea of the changing alliances, I remember that episode, yeah. That's when Golden Cop, right. And creepy as all get out. Oh my god, I know. And who you also used sex to achieve his goal of war, like Captain Lorca and potentially Lieutenant Tyler. He was so creepy. He was more creepy as a Bajoran. Our last episode of this first half of the season is called Into the Forest I Go. And I'm assuming that's the forest on the Pavan planet. And because we know it's going to be a cliffhanger, we can expect to not have any resolution of any of these questions. They have to give us something. Yeah, maybe not a ton of resolution, but they have to give us something, I would think. So we'll go ahead and talk about Into the Forest I Go next time and whine about how we don't have all the information we want. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can find me at autismmom.com, 
That's autism-mom.com. You can find me at takingstep.com. And we hope that you will join us for the next episode of Moms Going Boldly. The music used on Moms Going Boldly is entitled Without Limits by Ross Bugden Music. It is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 International License. For more information, visit creativecommons.org. And please follow Ross Bugden on Twitter, at Ross Bugden.